Open your Bibles tonight to the book of Amos. Welcome all of you. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. If you're joining us by audio or video podcast in the series, Short-Winded Sermons and looking at the minor prophets all through the Old Testament. Open up to the book of Amos tonight. What do you know about old farmers? Y'all know any? Again, Woodburn Baptist Church is in Woodburn, Kentucky. We, we got nothing but old farmers in this church. This is who we are. Tell me about old farmers. You know any old, old men, old farmers? The community's full of them. Um, I've grown up in, in Woodburn. I've always grown up around farms and farmland. I'm kind of the kid for whom none of that took. Um, I still understand it, but, but of course my life is very different from the life that my dad lived. I, I really don't farm, although I, of course, live all around farmers. I'm a runner, and so farmers see me running, and I know that deep down inside they're thinking the only reason he has to run is because he doesn't work. You know, farmers are all about work, and, and it's physical labor. It's always physical labor for, for, for them. This past week was the first week in Kentucky. It's gotten really, really hot and humid. So Monday afternoon after about 4 o'clock, I started my long run. I dropped water out because I try to be smart. I dropped water out in the ditch about four miles from my house so I could go out and back and make it about eight miles. Uh, I had three farmers stop and offer me rides. And I could see it in their face. They're just thinking, you fool, you, you fool, why are you out here? Because they were on their tractors and they were hot and it was humid. Uh, the poor man who saw me, you know, getting water out of a bottle in the ditch, I know that he was thinking, you know, that I'm just, you know, whatever, looking for beer, anything just to, just to drink. I, I put my own water there, but I know he just thought I was drinking whatever I could find in the ditch. Uh, old farmers, w w tell me about it. What do you know about them? Where do they drive? Trucks, what kind of truck? F-150s, yeah, my dad's an old farmer. My dad drove this truck. I mean, the wheels were coming off, but it was such a junk truck. But my dad didn't want to get a new truck. Now, why wouldn't he get a new truck? Well, it costs money. Y'all know Don Harris. It, it would cost money. He would just drive it. I mean, that's his thinking. Why would I get a new truck? I would just drive it. Uh, my dad thinks like that. But also, why? Because it's a work truck. It's a work truck, and you know, why get a brand new truck, get out there and beat it up? So he was driving a beat-up truck so that he wouldn't get a, a better truck and then beat it up. You understand? So he drove it uh, until it was on the side of the road, and then he got another beat-up truck. Yeah, and, and that's how it works for old farmers. What else? What do, they, what do they wear? Overalls? Yeah, overalls. Great. Yeah, overalls. The, the more well-to-do of the farming set, they'll wear Carhartt. Uh, the others just wear whatever. Uh, overalls. What is a farmer's tan? Describe for me a farmer's tan. What, what is a farmer's tan? It's a, it's a unique style of tanning uh, made popular by farmers. A farmer's tan, what's it look like? Please keep your shirts on. We don't want to see it. Just, ex just describe it to us. A farmer's tan is a really, really dark tan from the short sleeves down. Yeah, from here down. And then, of course, from the neck up, you've heard the term Redneck, what does redneck refer to? Yeah, the sunburned back of the neck from working outside. Yeah, that, that, that's a redneck. If a farmer takes off his shirt, what do you see? Blinding. Yeah, blinding, blinding white yeah, flesh that's never seen the sun ever. And these <laughs> luscious tan arms and this tan uh, neck and head. That's the farmer's tan. Yeah, what, what do farmers eat? Beans, taters, yeah, what else? 
biscuits, whatever they sell at Rich Palm Market. Yeah, the farmers stop there. Tenderloin biscuits. Yeah, that's supposed to be breakfast. Yeah. What else? What do they snack on? What do they drink? Yeah, thick slice bologna sandwiches. Thick, it's got to be thick slice. Where do you even get thick slice bologna anymore? Where do you get it? Gold City Grocery. I bet you got a farmer tan too, don't you, Tim Mays? Gold City Grocery, and he knows where they sell thick slice bologna. Yeah. Amos was that guy. Amos is an old farmer. Amos lived in a town, a nothing town. Uh, south of the big town that is from a place called Tekoa. Amos had spent his entire life uh, on a family farm. Uh, he did a little bit of everything. He apparently raised some figs, some fruit. He also apparently was a shepherd. He raised animals, and he was that man. He drove an F-150. He had a farmer's tan. He drank Mountain Dew and ate thick sliced bologna sandwiches and ate Eda snacks. Y'all know what Eda's th- or the farmers say eater snacks. He ate eater snacks. I know what those are. Uh, yeah, the little orange crackers, peanut butter crackers. Yeah, I bet you got a farmer's tan too, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Amos was 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 that man. He was quiet, but when he talked, you usually knew that he would tell you exactly what he was thinking. He said what he meant. He meant what he said. That's who he was. And Amos never did anything at all out of the ordinary. He never got out of his lane. He never surprised anybody. He was as predictable and plain and ordinary as white bread until the day he appeared in the city preaching. And out of nowhere, this, this farmer, this shepherd, this, this raiser of figs, he becomes a prophet and actually a fiery prophet. Where does that come from? What turns an ordinary man, an ordinary farmer, not educated, not sophisticated, not usually one prone to seek the spotlight or to speak in public at all, what makes a man like that suddenly become a fiery prophet? Yeah, very, very simply, the word of the Lord. The the word of the Lord. Start in verse 1. This isn't our text for tonight, but start here. This message was given to Amos, a shepherd from the town of Tekoa in Judah. He received this message in visions two years before the earthquake when Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam II, the son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. This is what he saw and this is what he heard. The Lord's voice will say the word, Lord and thunder. It's the word of the Lord that comes to Amos, but but for Amos, it it wasn't just the word of the Lord. It, It wasn't a still small voice. Amos hears God roar. Amos hears God thunder, and the message itself is devastating. Chapter three, verse eight, the lion has roared, so who isn't frightened? The lion has roared, so who isn't frightened? This is the word of the Lord as it came to Amos. And having heard the Lord roar, and having heard what God would say to his people, for his people, about his people, Amos could no longer stay on the tractor. You understand? Amos could no longer stay on the back side of the pasture where he had learned to know God and love God and hear God's voice. Having heard God speak, Amos now can no longer stay silent. He goes out and he preaches. Amos chapter 8, verse 4. Let's just look at one of his sermons, talk about it briefly, and, and, and that'll be our night. But, but let's start here. 
It's interesting what Amos sees and hears from the Lord. Let's listen to what he says. Start in verse 4. Listen to this, you who rob the poor and trample down the needy. You can't wait for the Sabbath day to be over and the religious festivals to end so you can get back to cheating the helpless. You measure out grain with dishonest measures and cheat the buyer with dishonest scales. And you mix the grain you sell with chaff swept from the floor. Then you enslave poor people for one piece of silver or a pair of sandals. Now the Lord has sworn this oath by his own name, the pride of Israel. I will never forget the wicked things you have done. The earth will tremble for your deeds and everyone will mourn. The ground will rise like the Nile River at flood time. It will heave up, then sink again. Remember, he got this message from God just before what? earthquake earthquake the ground will rise like the nile river at flood time it will heave up then sink again in that day says the sovereign lord i will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth while it is still day i will turn your celebrations into times of mourning and your singing into weeping you will wear funeral clothes and shave your heads to show your sorrow as if your only son had died how very bitter that day will be the time is surely coming, says the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from border to border, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Time is coming when I will send a famine, not going to be a famine of food and water, a famine of what? Of, of hearing the word of the Lord. Now, now, this is devastating, more devastating than the worst kind of earthquake, famine, whatever you can imagine, a natural tragedy, a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. In other words, God's people, all of the people will literally be starving to death to hear something from God, but there will be no word from God. Why would that be so devastating? A famine of hearing the word of the Lord. No, no one, no one has a word from God. Why is that so terrible? Yeah, God's word often comes to us as asking us to do the last thing we would think to do. It wouldn't occur to us to pray for enemies. It wouldn't occur to us to do the things that God tells us to do in order to find salvation for our souls. That's not human. It doesn't come from us. It comes from God. If we follow our instincts, we will only be damned. Understand, it's only in hearing the word of the Lord that we even have possibility of relationship with God. Turn to John chapter 15. Gospel of John chapter 15. Familiar passage, but I just want you to remember what the word of the Lord represents. John chapter 15, let's start with verse 1. 
I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do not bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the word I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Now this image of of the vine, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. What's that a picture of? It's a picture of a tree, it's a picture of belonging, it's a picture of unity and relationship with Christ. But if you notice when Jesus describes how he is the true vine and we are the branches, notice how very intricately woven in is the importance of the word. Uh, He cuts off every branch that doesn't produce fruit. He prunes the branches that do not bear fruit, but you've already been pruned and purified by what? By my message, by my word. It's God's word that prunes and purifies us and makes it possible for us to be united with he who is the vine. Do you understand? He is the vine, we are the branches, and it is the word that brings us into relationship. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away, but if you remain in me and my word remains in you, do you understand? This abiding in Christ has everything to do with abiding in the word. Listening to the word of God, hearing God's word, but hearing is never all of it. Hearing is just a part of it. Do not be hearers only, but be doers of the word. It's it's not just sitting in church and soaking it in. It's letting God's word bring you into the vine who is Christ and then letting that word determine everything else about the way you live your life. God cares about the way you live your life. And you can't for imagine for a moment imagine that simply having had an experience with God, having had some moment that you call salvation, if there's no abiding, no remaining in him, no hunger and thirst for his word. According to uh, the prophet Amos, the, the, the most devastating kind of famine you could ever find yourself in is a situation where you're not able to feed on the word of the Lord. This is the devastation that Amos prophesied. There's a famine coming. The worst kind of famine you can imagine. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from border to border, searching for the word of the Lord, but but starving to death. Absolutely starving to death. Now, the problem in Amos' day is sort of like the problem in our day. It's not like the word isn't there. It's not like you can't hear the word of the Lord. It's not like that at all. Now, I know that some preachers are better than other, and and all preachers are better than me. I mean, it's not really about the quality of the preaching, but I think all of us are still, even on our worst day, bringing something of the word of the Lord. I mean, if I've done nothing else tonight, I've read some scripture and I got more to read. You understand? It's the word of the Lord. It's here for you tonight. 
It, it really is. And it was always there for Amos's crowd too. Notice that the, the congregation that Amos is preaching to, the people that he is focused on, these are church people. These are religious people, but there's a problem. There's a problem. Look, verse 4, go back with me. Chapter 8, verse 4 of the book of Amos. Listen to this, you who rob the poor and trample down the needy. Now, now that's a bad crowd there. I mean, anybody who would rob the poor and trample down the needy, verse 5, you can't wait for the Sabbath day to be over. No, no, what? It's the same people. It's the same people. The same people who rob the poor and trample down the needy are also always going to be found in a certain place on church day. Where will they be on church day? Church. They will be there, but in their mind they're thinking, I can't wait for this to be over. Okay, I just preached to half of you right there. Right, right there. And I've been there too. I can't wait for this to be over. I just can't wait for this to be over. You can't wait for the Sabbath day to be over and the religious festivals to end so you can get back. Get back to what? Cheating the helpless. Really? We're talking about the religious people here. The, the religious people. And, and they're always there at the temple. They're always there at the festivals. They don't miss it. I mean, every time the doors open, they are there in body. But in spirit, they are elsewhere. And, and honestly, if you could read their minds, they're thinking, I can't wait for this to be over. I got places to go. I got people to see. And their lives are wicked. I, I guess the word for that is, is congruence. C congruence. What, what is congruence? What's that word mean? Congruence. Somebody say it out loud. C congruence. What's Congruence. Somebody say it like one person say it. Yeah. Go ahead, Kenton. What'd you say? Congruence? Right angles are congruent. What does that mean? Same on both sides. Yeah, the, the same. Yeah, same, same. Yeah, so, so congruence means what we're looking for a kind of agreement, a kind of togetherness. Uh, I, I guess what we're saying is you should be the same person in the temple on the Sabbath as you are later at work among the people that you serve. You understand? There should be congruence. So when you're at the temple praising a God who is a God of love and forgiveness and mercy, if you worship and praise that God, then on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you should be a person of love and forgiveness and mercy. If the forgiveness that you praise in the God that you worship is not the same forgiveness that you are able to pour out on your enemies, there's a lack of congruence. If the way you praise God and speak of God, the way you behave in church doesn't match the way you behave at school or work on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, there is a lack of congruence. And Amos is very concerned about this lack of congruence. Now, the, 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 the temple crowd is very, very faithful to the temple, and yet they're very unfaithful to God. Because as it turns out, God doesn't just live at the temple. And as it turns out, God isn't just interested in what happens when the people are together in worship. Now, what we do in this house is very important. And I know Rod and about five others worked all afternoon while you and I napped. They were working on this worship service. God bless you guys. Thank you for putting so much into this worship service. I love this room. I love this church. I love worshiping here. I, I practically live here. Y'all know that. I come here when you're not here. I walk through these pews and I pray for you when you're not here. I, I love this room. But understand, God doesn't just live in this room. 
And God doesn't just like come on here when the lights come on here. God has concern that, that is far beyond this room and far beyond what happens in this room. And God's following you to work and he knows what you do and he knows how you live and he sees. And as it turns out, of all of the things that God really, really cares about, God really cares about the poor. He really cares about the poor. And the problem is the people at the temple in Amos' day, they didn't have a lot of concern for the poor. Actually, they didn't consider the poor at all. All they considered was how they could make more money. Now, I don't necessarily think that they, they put it on their, like on their iPhone, you know, to remind me on Monday to cheat the poor. I don't really think that was it. It's just that in their greed, in their determination to gather more for themselves, they just managed to take from everybody else, including the ones who could least afford to contribute to their life of luxury. You understand? So their business practices were just a little bit crooked, but, but it was crooked for everybody. You see that, right? You measure out grain with dishonest measures and cheat the buyer with dishonest scales. What's that mean? What's that mean? What are dishonest scales? It doesn't give a right reading. So if somebody comes into my grocery store and they buy a pound of flour, a pound of flour in my grocery store is only about, you know, three quarters of a pound of flour, but I charge you a pound of flour, you'd never know because my scale lies to you. Now, would that ever happen in business? Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, all the time. They would happen to everybody who comes in. Everybody who comes in would, would be cheated in the same way. But it's the poor that God has this incredible concern for. You mix the grain you sell with chaff swept from the floor. What's that mean? You, you ever read your box of cereal? What's in it? Yeah, like your box of cereal. What's in there? Just, they call it filler. What's filler? Filler's cheap stuff that tastes like food. So if they put filler in your food, you just eat it. And you, you don't even realize you're eating, you're eating the very same thing that they pack with styrofoam peanuts in the box, you know, at UPS. I mean, that's pretty much what you're eating. They call it Frosted Cheerios. But there is nothing in it. There's just nothing in it. They have swept the chaff off the floor, do you understand? Mix it in with, and they call it cereal. And that's just business. And it happened even in Amos' day. I, I mean, the merchants had figured out how to make more money from themselves. And it was just business. It's just how they did business. But the problem is those who could least afford, those who really needed good nutrition, those who only had $5 to spend, and they're spending it at, at your store. Do you understand? You're cheating them. And God took note of that. God noticed that. And, and it burns God's anger to see how the poor are treated. But that was the Old Testament God. Nowadays, we have Obamacare, and we have welfare, and we have, we have the Salvation Army. I mean, if there are poor people today, they got lots of options. So, you know, Amos wouldn't have much to preach. He could stay on his tractor these days, right? What, what now y'all aren't talking to me? What about the poor these days? Are these problems gone? Are the scales still sort of tilted away from those who really, really need a good break? Yeah, I, I, I know that some of us don't like to talk or think about this, but God thinks about this. 
God still pays attention to how the poor fare in our community. And if you get that in our community, you'll find out they don't fare very well. Lots of things are stacked against them. And there was a poor guy that lived in our community who got in lots of trouble. He got in all kinds of trouble because he just was that guy who could always stay in trouble. A lot of it wasn't his doing, though. One day he was about to lose custody, full custody of his daughters, and he was already not having custody because they say he failed to appear in court. I was talking to a social worker. I said, did he know to appear in court? She said, well, we called him. I said, he doesn't have a phone. He, he doesn't have a phone. So how did you call him? We left a message. He doesn't have a phone. Well, we also sent a letter. Do you know he can't read? This is the same man who thought that his food stamps were gone because they stopped sending out the paper food stamps. He just started sending a credit card. And people sent him credit cards every day wanting him to open a credit card. And he couldn't read, but he knew he couldn't have a credit card, so he just threw those away. He was throwing away his, his only way of living from the government. I mean, you understand, there are a lot of things that make it very, very difficult to be poor in our culture. Not everybody's got an iPhone. Not everybody reads. Not everybody is doing as well as you are. Do you care about that? Does it bother you? Now, I know that you can probably drive from your house all the way to work, and you can drive from your house all the way to church, and you can vacation on the beach like I do, and you can sort of move around the earth in a way where you don't ever really have to see poor people. But that doesn't mean that they go away, and it doesn't mean they're not there, and it doesn't mean that for a single moment God stops holding us responsible for their suffering. Now the Lord has sworn this oath by his own name, the pride of Israel. I will never forget the wicked things you have done. What's he talking about there? He's simply talking about the people's disregard for the poor. God says, I, I won't forget that. Remember when Jesus was preaching about judgment in the last day, he said, it'll be like this. It, it'll be like the, the one who separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll look to the ones on his one hand and say, I was hungry and you did not feed me. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was sick and you did not visit me. I was in prison and you did not come. And the people will say, when, when, when? And Jesus will say, Whatever you did not do for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did not do for me. You see, you can go through your entire life and not realize, but it doesn't mean you're not guilty. The time is surely coming, says the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Now, if God is going to create this famine, how will that happen? How can it be that you could be on the face of the earth and have no word from God? How will that work? What's going to cause the word of the Lord to simply dry up? Where will it go? Why won't people hear it? Say it again. Because nobody's going to be speaking it. There will be nobody left to speak it. Why would that be? Because it's not a popular word. And God says there's going to come a point where I got nothing more to say. Nothing more to say. Seriously? Would God get to that point with us where he just simply says, I'm done talking to you. I'm done talking to you. I'm, I'm, I'm done. Any of you ever had a wayward child? Don't raise your hand. Your children are probably in the room. Uh, just, just kind of do this, you know, and, and I'll get it. 
a wayward child, uh, what are the stages of that? When a child disobeys, what do you do first? Yeah, you talk. In the beginning, you, you try simply telling your children what you expect of them, what you need from them. In the very, very beginning, mostly you, you, you talk. You, you simply talk and, and, and reach out in love. And What do you do when that fails? Yeah, then discipline comes. Once you've reached out in love and you've reached out in trying to correct and, and, and speak, then you'll start reaching out with, with, with discipline. You'll sort of create the, the circumstances that makes their disobedience difficult. You may call that time out. Uh, my poor son. Every time I went to work and came back home, Casey had him in time out. Uh, he, he just sat in time out for the first three years of his life. What was that even about? What's time out about? Well, it's about putting a, a, your child in circumstances that you create. I mean, she created that. I mean, she had a whole bench that was the time out bench, you know, and he sat there and, and he knew when he sat there, I mean, nothing was going to happen until he got whatever it was she was trying to teach him. And nothing was going to happen until he apologized or uh, until he, he came back and said that he understood. I mean, time out was, was Casey's way of sort of constructing circumstances that would, that would help him learn. And it was really pretty effective for this kid. It, it really was. I mean, you know, 13 years on a bench, you eventually learn something, <laughs> I, I guess. So we reach out in love. We continue to reach out with our words. But then eventually what? When all of your words are, are, are not listened to, and when all of the love you pour out seems not to reach a hard heart at, at all, and, and when you've put them in time out and, and you've done everything you, you can, you, you have continued to discipline and, and reach out and, and eventually nothing seems effective, then what do you do? Do you stop loving? Do you stop caring? No, but eventually what? Uh, eventually... You just have to let the child face their own consequences, their own circumstances. Now, now, when they're under your shelter, under your discipline, under your care, you're able to create your own circumstances. You may call it time out. You may ground them, whatever, but that's nothing. The kid thinks you're being so mean and so cruel. How could you do this? How, you're ruining my life, your teenager says, but you're not ruining their lives at all. You're saving their lives with discipline. And the situations that you create to help them to feel a little bit of pain for learning, that, that's, that's salvation. That, that's good parenting. What they don't understand is, is no, once I stop doing what I'm doing, you will ruin your own life with the consequences of your choices. Your life will be devastated if I just simply step back and let you have your way. And this is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says real judgment is. There's going to be a famine in this land. I'm, I'm going to be done talking. No longer sending prophets, no longer, no longer reaching out in, in love in that way. You will be allowed to simply walk away from me. You will be allowed to face the consequences of your own choices, and it's going to be devastating. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from border to border, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Beautiful girls and strong young men will grow faint in that day, thirsting for the Lord's word. The real devastating part of that passage is that a whole lot of people are already starving to death. They're already staggering. They are already lost in the world because they 
are listening to the word of the Lord. It's there. It's always there. The feast on the table is set all of the time. God is speaking. God is reaching out in love. God is doing everything a good father can do to bring his children home. But God says one of these days, a day to come, that mercy runs out. You cannot always presume upon God's mercy because God also is a God who roars with wrath and that wrath will surely come. That is the message of an old farmer by the name of Amos who somehow on the backside of his pasture heard the terrible, terrible roaring voice of God and he had to go tell the people. Let's pray. God, that hunger is all around us because people do not hear your word. They don't understand that it is bread for their souls. Lord, some of us in this church, Lord, we continue to make it to every worship service, but we just can't wait till it's over because, Lord, we don't ever come hungry. We have filled our bellies. We have filled our souls with all of what the world feeds us, but it is not bread. It it is not your word. We have devices and screens and all kinds of entertainment always before us, Lord. We manage to fill ourselves up, Lord, so that when we come to your house, when the word is open, Lord, there is nothing there that seems to nourish us. It doesn't hold our attention for very long. So we are like the people who gorge our bellies on what is junk, Lord, and we remain very, very undernourished, though we are overfed. God, as your people, we hear your word all of the time. We are overfed but undernourished because we do not listen. And we do not let your word change us. And even when we hear your roaring voice, Lord, we continue with our lives with utter disregard for others, and we simply act as if you've never spoken. God, I pray for this congregation. Lord, I pray that you will bless me. Lord, I pray that when I preach, it will be your word that is heard and not my word. God. I pray that the congregation will come hungry and they will listen to your word and your word will begin with power to separate bones from marrow and be living and active and powerful in our midst. God, we need your word more than anything. And we need to share your word with a world that is lost and dying and starving to death to hear it. Lord, I pray that like Amos, we would hear the roar of your voice and somehow not be able to continue with our ordinary lives anymore. Make us to care for those around us. Make us to care for the world. Make us to care for the poor. Make it so that, Lord, we begin to care about all the things that you care about. We ask you, Lord Jesus, to set our hearts on fire with your word, for your word. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.